Hey guys, welcome to Therapy Tea. Thanks for joining me today. And if you're new here, welcome. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Anxiety Doctor and visit my website for free info at www.theanxietydoctor.com. So today I have the host of the Anxious Truth Podcast, Drew Linsalata. If you don't listen to his podcast, you should because he has great information. Um, so don't miss it. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Anxiety Doctor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa, and I'm super excited to always bring you amazing tools and tips to help you eliminate that dreadful anxiety. Join me every Wednesday as I bring you a new episode every week. So today we have the anxiety guru, Drew Linsalata. <laughs> Thank you so much again for coming on with me. I'm so excited about this. You're the anxiety guru in our podcast world. Well, thank you, Lisa. I don't know if I call myself a guru, but that's <laughs> very, very flattering. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. It's cool. So Drew has this amazing podcast. I came across your podcast because um, I'm new to podcasting. So um, I've been you know, just kind of listening to different podcasts. And I thought you were amazing. You're amazing at how, um, talk about anxiety is basically how I, how I come up, how I, uh, use therapy in my practice. Just, you know, I always tell my patients, it's the easiest thing to treat without medication. Yes, that's true. It's not easy. It won't be it's easy. Just, it's just hard work. It's hard work. It's just, I always say it's a simple solution. It's really hard to execute. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it is one of the easiest things to treat without medication. But I also tell them it's the easiest thing to treat with medication too. Because doctors just want to give you that little pill called Xanax. Mm -hmm. Within five minutes, 15 minutes, you feel better. You do, but there's but no free lunch. Exactly. And you're not fixing the problem. That. Right. That's exactly right. So yeah, we, are, we appear to be coming from the same place for sure. Um, it's a thing that I talk about all the time. Like this isn't anything that I made up. I didn't invent any of this. I'm just apparently good at delivering the message. And uh, you know, this is this sort of thing has been going on for decades and decades. And we have mountains and mountains of clinical evidence that shows how effective this sort of treatment is in the case of anxiety disorders. It's just it's just hard. It, it requires yeah. people to do hard work. It requires that they be courageous and do scary things, not dangerous things, scary things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it works. Works really well. Yeah. I mean, that's what I incorporate in my therapy. I always tell people when they come in and they're on Xanax and all these medications, my goal is to get them off and to, you know, change their mindset. And just oh, that alone can do wonders for anxiety. It is. I mean, do you find that, I mean, in your practice, well, I'm guessing if somebody comes to you, they're, they're open to try, they, they have to try something. They're looking for some sort of relief. Not all of them. But it's, it's hard to make, get people to have that mind shift. I have many people yeah. who stumble into the podcast or, or find it or find my social media community. And within two or three days, they are livid with me and, and thinking that I know nothing about what I'm talking about. I clearly have never had anxiety and I, I'm terrible. I'm just a horrible person. And that's, that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with that. It's just some people are just not necessarily open to this different. It's not a different, just this way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So my patients, when they come in, a lot of times they're forced by their wives, especially the men. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or by their their healthcare uh, providers, their doctors, 
And so a lot of times they come in and I, I don't incorporate anything the first session. Of course, I just talk to them and I tell them what I'm going to do. And I talk about deep breathing and meditation and guided imagery. Mm-hmm. The second time I usually do it with some of the, my patients and they come in and I can see that they're almost rolling their eyes at me like, this is not going to work. Right, right. But I was yet, just going to help my racing heart in my exactly, like, yeah. Right. And but yeah. then after their fifteen minute first ever meditation, they're like, "This is amazing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always the, the most gratifying thing to me a lot of times in what I do with the podcast and the books and everything is the first time you hear from somebody and they say, "I did it." I did it. I did that thing where I just let the anxiety come and I didn't fight it. And I, you know, I did my best to relax and, and oh my God, it went away. And they are just, they feel like a superhero and they're all ready to go get it. And that's so fun. It's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why I continue to do what I do because I love seeing that end result. Yeah. Um, The first thing I also treat is, I mean, or, or teach them is not to fear anxiety. A lot of times that's what it, it continues you know, when you have that first panic attack or that anxiety, you know, severe anxiety, um, mm. you start fearing it. You yeah. wake up in the morning and the first thing you think, I hope I don't get a panic attack. You're, you're already putting it in your mind. Yeah, too late at that point. I, what I say all the time, and, and this is hard for people to grasp at times, is the difference between having anxiety and having an anxiety disorder is that when you have an anxiety disorder, the anxiety itself is now the fuel for more anxiety. Exactly. So it is the fear of being afraid that really triggers all of this stuff. Yeah. And everybody, a lot of people are like, oh, I never thought of it that way. They yeah. still want to look at it as the sensations themselves and dealing with that stuff. So, but you're right. And I always say like, we don't try to make it go away. First, we learn to not be afraid of it. And then wouldn't you know it, it starts to go away once yeah. you're not afraid of it anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. What I tell my patients is anxiety will never go away because it's a normal emotion. Yeah. And it's, it's a okay. normal emotion. Right. It serves a purpose. It signals danger sometimes when it, when the fear yeah. is directed it keeps us from properly. doing stupid stuff. <laughs> right. It informs our judgment sometimes, but it's okay to be anxious. We'll always have some measure of anxiety in our lives, but you don't have to be afraid of being anxious. That's the difference. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's the difference. You don't have to so. fear it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, when I heard your podcast, I was like, this is me in a male, male version of me. <laughs> You're just probably easier to listen to, I'm going to say. So I'm just, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's the deal. Yeah. I mean, I love that because like I said, that's what I, that's how, what I train my patients to do is change their mindset and not fear anxiety. Anxiety is a normal emotion. And when they know that, because a lot of times they come in and they tell me, you know, I've been to different therapists and I still have anxiety. Right. Well, that's never going to go away. It's just like someone with depression. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell them you're never going to be sad a day in your life again. Well, that, that's the misconception that some people have, especially when they're in the grips of an anxiety disorder. They can't differentiate different. They cannot differentiate between sadness and depression. Like yeah. sadness isn't necessarily indicative of depression, nor will it become depression. But you know, the thing with anxiety is, well, I also have a hard time, not have a hard time, but it's heartbreaking when you see people who are going down the road to recovery from the disorder and then they experience panic and they call that, that's failure. I'm back to the beginning because they think that the goal is to never, ever experience panic that ever again. again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not, that might happen. That's, that could happen when you resolve the disorder. It's possible, 
But really, you resolve the disorder when you just don't care anymore if you ever have a panic attack or not. Yeah. That's when you have actually resolved the disorder. And that's another tough one that sometimes it's hard for people to get a grip on. Like, no, no, I just want it to never happen again. Well, that might yeah. happen, but it might not. And if it doesn't, you'll get to the point where you just don't care. It's, it's a 10, 15 minute annoyance and then you go on with your day. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's yeah. absolutely possible. Yeah. That's what I tell my patients. If you do happen to have, get, you know, this panic attack, how long does it usually last? Well, 10 minutes, maybe yeah, five minutes, 15 people, minutes. You know, in the grips of the disorder, will tell you that their panic attack lasts all day. Or I've had people say, "I've been having yeah, a panic the attack for a week." Yeah, the lingering anxiety, or right, but it, it's that up and down, up and down. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really last an entire day. But you're fueling the next one and the next wave. So when you learn to be completely non-resistant and non-reactive, then yeah, I feel really comfortable in telling people. I don't know, eight minutes, ten minutes, fifteen yeah. minutes. You know, Just you start to feel better. You know less what it is. Oh, here we go. No, you're not going to die. That's one yeah. thing that people come in and they've gone to the to every single uh, doctor specialist. Yes. They've been to the emergency room numerous times, and I tell them no one has ever died from a panic attack. Right, but but the thing that's so difficult about that is we could tell them that from now until the cows come home, and they'll believe it for five or ten minutes until they're scared again, and until they, they get it again. Yeah. Right. So the only way to truly know that is to actually go ahead and die. Go ahead, do it. And then you won't. And you didn't try to save yourself and you still wind up okay. And then, then you have it communicated with the fear center in your brain that will learn the lesson experientially yeah. that says, oh, I didn't try to keep myself alive and I was still alive. So maybe I don't have to do all <laughs> that stuff anymore. You just have to do that a bunch of times and repeat it. And yeah. magically, you learn a new lesson. So yeah. it's just scary. People don't want to do scary stuff. I get that. I just, yeah. 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 So the majority of your listeners are women? The majority, you know, here's the funny thing about podcasting. It's really hard to get good statistics. So what Instagram tells me is that the vast majority of my audience on Instagram are women. But I, I know why that is. I have a couple of people who really drove a lot of folks my way and they're, they skew okay. heavily female. But I think the best statistics that I have is I'm skewed toward female, but it's probably 60, 40 female male okay. at this point. Best guess. Okay. So that's not but too bad. The more vocal part of the community surrounding the podcast are women. Women are more likely to talk about it with me. Uh-huh. Men Which will is, listen, but yeah. they, they are not, you They're know, not going to share. They won't share that much. In my Facebook group, which is getting bigger all the time, the men are there, but the women dominate the discussion by far. Yeah. By far. Yeah. Yeah. So I live in a border town, deep South Texas. The majority of the population here is uh, Mexican-American, Hispanic. Mm -hmm. um, and I was telling you this earlier, but um, when I started my practice almost 11, 12 years ago, maybe, um, the majority of my patients were female. Recently, in the past five years, maybe, the majority of my patients are male. That's amazing. Teenage, teenage male and adults. Really? So even as early as teen years, you see it yeah. in your practice. Yeah. With severe yeah. anxiety. That's a big shift. Like you said, it was primarily female at first, right? Yeah. I wonder what's causing that. I, I think there's a more of a, look, I mean, social media has certainly changed things. We could argue all day long whether it's changed things for the positive or not. But at a minimum, I think it has opened the discussion. Like you're hearing words like anxiety and depression yeah. more and more and more, sometimes almost to a fault because- we tend to water those things down a little bit in the clinical, in terms of the clinical 
application, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe men are getting a little bit more comfortable with like, oh, okay, this is just a person problem. I can, I can, I can check this out. But I would still venture to guess that men are more likely to keep when they reach out to you and, you know, hire you to be their therapist, I bet you they're more likely to keep that quiet. Oh, yes. They're not going to tell their friends that, oh, yeah, I was with my therapist the other day. Whereas women oh. are more than happy to talk about, my therapist told me. <laughs> yeah. My therapist said this. My Right, yeah, no. right. Women love their therapists and men are just like, what therapist? <clears throat> you know, they, they don't want to admit that they have one a lot of times. Yeah. So recently I started doing um, for my community just uh, Facebook lives just to kind of you know, minimize the anxiety um, around COVID and all mm -hmm. the craziness. Um, and so I've gotten a lot of people. And of course, everyone always asks, do you have room? Are you taking on new patients? And I can't because I can't clone myself. Yeah. I'm fully booked. <laughs> and, so, um, and so I started doing workshops. Um, and I just completed my first one. It was a seven-day workshop. I've done groups and workshops before. Um, in person, but I've never done a virtual workshop. So I wasn't sure how it was going to work. But the majority of the people that have been contacting me are either wives about their husbands having anxiety. Um, and then some men too, you know, I've had this anxiety. A lot, mm -hmm. of, a lot of the people have had COVID and it just, they, yeah. they've never experienced anxiety. And now they have anxiety after COVID. Yeah. And so I ask all of them, are you worried that you're going to get it again? And they're like, no. And so I was, it's kind of weird, right? But yeah, anyways, yeah. it was a lot of men, a lot of uh, wives asking about, you know, my services for their husbands. So I opened up this workshop and guess how many men I had? The majority? None. That's amazing. So you're seeing men in the practice, but you saw no men in the workshop. You, you think know, they're going to come with a group? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. There's no anonymity there. They got to sit on a Zoom call with, you know, with a bunch of people who will see them there. Yeah. 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 That's true. And, and I think um, what's funny is only the benefit of very large numbers. So like, you know, my Facebook group was fairly large. And when you get a large enough population, then you'll see men just because the power of large numbers, but it's still primarily female dominated. And there's so many reasons for that. Some of the I mean, we can all, we all know that the obvious reasons, the socialization of men is we have to be strong and you can't show weakness and all blah, 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 blah. We all know about that stuff. Um, and what I find is that there are some very deeply ingrained lessons that men seem to carry with them or what they think are lessons or they think are traits they should aspire to, like yeah. protecting their family and presiding and providing and this so they crazy. Be, they see right. themselves as weak if they have anxiety. Yeah, I, a common thing that I see among men that do openly talk about their anxiety disorder, their fear, and you know the common fear, it's like I'm going to die or I'm going to go crazy. The common fear is during anxiety and panic. For a lot of men, those are up there for sure because men are people too, just like everybody else. <laughs> but they add on top of that the I'm going to let my family down. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to teach. I'm going to pass this on to my kids somehow, my son. They're very, very worried about like somehow passing anxiety onto their sons and their daughters too, of course. But there's that, that thing that says, oh, I'm not, I'm supposed to be a lion here. I'm supposed to be the, the hunter, the gatherer. I, I, I'm letting my family down here. And that's, it's really kind of heartbreaking because they carry an extra burden. Yeah. Now, women have their own extra burdens, but those are men. Those are the men, male version of the extra burden. In yeah. My, yeah. Yeah. Can you so. imagine here in, in my community, the machismo? Yeah, you've got that cultural thing sort of ingrained. I mean, for me, I have an Italian-American background. So mm -hmm. 
yeah. So it's very, very similar. Kind of, you know? kind of similar. Yeah. Very. It's always funny because if you remember back in the the Sopranos, you know, very popular HBO series, that was a deal. Tony Soprano was seeing a therapist, and it was absolutely <laughs> should not get out. I mean, that's a no one case. should know. No one should know. Yeah, you're not, not that Tony that. Soprano was seeing a, a therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's true. It's a thing. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about symptoms in uh, men. Okay. Do you think that there's different? I see it in, in the people that I treat, but yeah. Uh, do, are there different symptoms? I don't. Well, I don't see. Go ahead. Let me let me explain yeah. myself. I guess so. Um, with with men, most of the men that come in, they've gone to all these different specialists for their stomach. A yeah. lot of times, it's just stomach issues and stomach pain. Yeah. My theory is that they don't want to show it. They don't want to express it. And so they keep it all in their gut. It could be, or it could be that uh, this is an interesting conversation. It could be that it's a little bit more acceptable to talk about stomach issues because that's, that's not true. a weakness thing. Yeah. If you want to tell somebody that you are terrified of your own heartbeat, which many people are, or you're terrified of your own breath, or you're terrified of the thoughts in your head, that's hard to say. But if you say my stomach is in a knot, most people can relate to that and maybe doesn't have the same connotation of weakness. As a phys physical, as a something physical, physical thing, and right. not mental, yeah. Yeah, and there's that something, uh, yeah, this may be, an, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here. So don't, don't hold me there as I don't have anything scientific here, but you know, that thing where I feel it in my gut, a gut feeling, go with the gut, it's a very masculine ideal. So yeah. that may lead men to, to go down that road a little bit. And I'm sure they do have stomach symptoms. I mean, many, many people with anxiety issues do have stomach symptoms. Yeah. Just not, not only stomach symptoms. Yeah, not, yeah, not only. But yeah, a lot of them, I, I ask the them, ones. do you ever get palpitations yeah, or yeah. You, you feel like you can't breathe? And yeah. they say no. They say Just they get the stomach. The, the stomach or like the the their arm can go numb. The numb, yeah. Yeah, the, the numbness and... Yeah. Which is... Uh, it's weird to me. I just always, I always joke around to my patients. I always tell them it's because women are more dramatic and we, oh, we can't breathe. That <laughs> could be. It could be. I think, um, I'm not sure that I've seen that same difference, to be honest with you. I find that men seem to complain of the same or describe, I'm not going to say complain, describe the same symptoms that women do for the most part. Um, they tend to get overly fixated more so than the women. And this is, this is what I find somewhat interesting. Women want relief from their symptoms because everybody wants relief, right? Even though that's not the most productive way, just relieve my symptoms, please. Okay, fine. Women just want relief from the symptoms. They want relief from the fear and the suffering. Men want relief too, but they actually want to fix it. Like a woman often doesn't care how you give me relief. I don't care what it is. As long as you can take this thing away from me, a man will get a little is more likely to get fixated on why is it happened? What caused it? What can I do to make sure? How can I engineer my life? So it never happens again. They want to understand it and fix it more than yeah. women. they want to get rid of it before people find out. <laughs> a little bit. I, and I think that I think you're trying to like proactively engineer, like, oh, yeah. if, I, if I understand it and I think about it and think about it and think about it and know what it is, then I can make sure it never happens again. Then I, Again, anecdotal, I, this is not in any way scientific. My experience with many, many people, thousands, is that men are more likely to want to fix it to get yeah. relief. Whereas women are just, just fix it. I don't care how you fix it as long as it goes away. Yeah. In general. In general. Yeah, in general. Yeah, yeah. Recently with, my, with the teenage male patients with anxiety, 
a lot of them have come in with um, an eating disorder. Ooh, and, mo- and most of it is not any, it, it becomes this pain that they're afraid to eat because of their <laughs> stomach pain. And so, you know, they come in and they have a diagnosis of eating disorder. And most of the time it's just anxiety and anxiety. Be- and it, be- it starts because they start it with stomach pain and anything yeah. they eat, they're afraid to eat. Right. So it's not, nece- it's not the same type of, like there's no body dysmorphia or anything like that necessarily attached to it. It's just they learn to fear the act of eating. Exactly. Yeah, which is something I've seen not just across men, but across everybody. There are many, many people who are podcast listeners and in the social media community that th- part of their recovery plan is to start to reintroduce foods that they have been convinced are dangerous for them. When they yeah. never were before, and they understand that's illogical, and part of their deal is, well, now I have, I, I'm going to have to eat some, I have to drink some milk again. Well, you're yeah. lactose intolerant? No, but I, I heard that it could make anxiety, so I stopped, and now I'm terrified of a glass of milk. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty common. I was almost thinking when you said it that, you know, in terms of the younger males, the teenagers, one of the things that I have observed, just again, personally, this is only anecdotal, but there's so much pressure that may pre-fuel that fire for young men these days to be ripped, to be shredded, to be buff, to be like, we have this crazy like Instagram model culture we think is really difficult on young women, which it absolutely is. It also has an effect on young men. I agree. Nobody was watching. Like when when I'm in the gym and I see 17 year olds that, that will just are at 8% body fat and describing themselves as fat as F something is wrong. And I was wondering if maybe that starts to play a role. But it could also be, like you said, they've just learned to be afraid to eat. To be afraid to eat, yeah. yeah a lot of yeah. these kids, and it's, it's weird because I'm like, that's, they're so similar in what they're eating. They'll come in and they're like, I'm eating oatmeal and yes. peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm like, that was what, you know, four other kids that came in with the same thing are eating. Really? So they yeah. narrow down, like, it's safe for me to eat these things. These things butter I can and eat. jelly sandwich and oatmeal. And oatmeal. I, I've known people who get stuck on, oatmeal seems to be popular. It's a safe, I don't know why it's, it's a, a safe, safe food yeah. somehow for people, but oatmeal, um, I know a lot of people that wind up getting stuck where they will only drink shakes. They can only drink, yeah, they you know, insurers insure and, or whatever, yeah. like, that's how I can't eat, so I have to get my calories that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's always really difficult because they get narrowed down to this tiny little diet that they think is, this is the only things that's safe for me to eat. Otherwise it will make my anxiety go up, which yeah. is hard to say. No, it doesn't. That's your reaction. That's not the food. I know. Tough one. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Talk about your books. You've written two books. I did write two books. Um, I set out to write, I happen to have them here. I'm getting good advice these days. So like have them handy so you could show them. I'm <laughs> awful at this. So this is the book that I set out to write, right? So this is the recovery guys, 400 pages of how to literally recover from an anxiety disorder. And when I was writing that book, which people have asked me for write, to write for many years, I realized that I started writing that book in 1986. I just didn't know it. Like that was my first panic attack. So that stretches back all the way to that part of my life. And then it took me about a year or so to write it. And when I was writing that book, I knew that I had to write a little introduction to tell people where I came from and what I lived because I have never said or written anything that I have not personally lived for many, many, many years. I never ask anybody to do anything that I personally have not done as part of the recovery process. So when I started writing the intro, it just, I just started telling my anxiety story and that actually turned into this book. So I literally wrote two books 
at the same time. Because this is a short one. Yeah, this is a short little read. It'll take you about an hour and change to read. This just basically takes you all the way from 1986 through when I finally actually solved this problem in around 2008, 2009. And then the big book, The Anxious Truth, that's the actual recovery guide. That was written like a course in anxiety recovery. So it's anything you've ever heard me say in a podcast, in a social media setting, or anything I've ever written, just in much more detail. And it's laid out sequentially like you're taking a course on how to recover from panic disorder, for instance. Wow. So I'm proud of that. You know, I, I'm a terrible salesman. I don't like to market. I, I'm bad at it. <laughs> me too. But, but to be honest with you, I'm, I am proud of this and I'm okay to say it now. Like you should the, feed, be. the feedback is good. And I, and I meant it to be a more effective way to deliver the message. Yeah. You know, I've seen your Instagram account. You have a fairly large following. People will come to you and they're desperate for help and they'll ask any tips and you know, any, I understand the question, any tips, but you are asking a giant question in the guise of any tips and like I 400 pages and it's still not enough. So yeah. it's a, it's a good question. It just has a very big answer. So it's, sometimes it's just more convenient to deliver the, the information this way. And then mm -hmm. I've been recording the audio version of it this week. So hopefully in about 30 days that'll come out. So it's been interesting. Awesome. Never thought I'd be here. Never. Didn't, didn't plan on this. In any way. So how did you start just talking about it? And then how did the podcast start? The podcast started, um, it's so interesting. Like I suffered from this problem. For me, it was panic disorder with agoraphobia. And there was okay. clinical, there were periods of clinical depression. And I, I dealt with it back in the late 80s. And I read Claire Weeks, Hope and Help for Your Nerves, Problem Solved temporarily. I didn't actually have to do the real work. So <laughs> it wasn't actually solved. It came back again in the 90s um, with a vengeance. I wound up clinically depressed. I wound up agoraphobic, all of those things. So that, on that time I decided, well, my family doctor said, Hey, if you were a diabetic, you would take insulin. Right. So I started taking antidepressant and I took that for nine years and it, and it took away panic and depression, but it had horrific side effects. Side effects yeah. Yes. And I, by the time I had to get off that, I, I struggled for a good year with that discontinue. I won't say withdrawal. I know they don't like that, but discontinuation syndrome. I was one of those people. Unfortunately. And then it all came, and then I was free, and it all came back again around 2006, 2007. And I'm like, okay, I know what to do here. I mean, I know what to do because I, I make it my business to learn these things. Yeah. I am, I am just an absolute behavioral sciences nerd. Like I'm the guy <laughs> reading research papers. Everybody else is like watching reality TV. But you know, I knew what to do, and then I just had to know and apply the concepts and and actually recover the right way. And then as I was doing that, I met people online. It was the earlier days of YouTube and stuff. I made friends. We would exchange exposure videos and cheer each other on. And that led to a little kind of mini social network that me and a friend of mine built, Billy Cross from Anxiety United in the UK. And then that just led to like helping, I, I don't know, helping became a, a therapeutic thing. Like a it community. Became just a little it community. became a community and, and I kept it going. And then we sort of migrated a little bit over to Facebook. And then about five years ago, one night, I'm like, oh, I, I should have a podcast. I don't know what made me think that. I literally sat on my living room floor and just started talking to my phone to nobody. I knew nobody was listening. <laughs> Maybe 10 people might hear it. And I just kept doing it. And here I am five years later. It's, we're going to hit a million downloads on the podcast very soon. Wow. So I never in a million, Lisa, in a million years, never would have thought that this was going to turn into this. I, that is I had, amazing. I would help out online where I could with people who needed the help, benefit of my experience and the things I knew. Then I just started talking into microphones and cameras. And now I spend probably 60% of my time on this now. So wow. Strange, strange. Incredible. So I, I enjoy it. And I get to meet so many great people and have the privilege of interacting with them and watching them get better. It's a good, it's a good way to be. That's awesome. Be yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So. Oh, I that's love your story. podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. 
So are you podcasting or no? Are you going to do it? I know you said you're new to podcasting. Have you started yet? Yeah, I did. I started. Well, send me your link so I could find it, damn it. Yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> I'll have to listen. I don't get to listen to too many podcasts. I'm too busy making them. But I do like to find new, new people. And you clearly know what you're talking about. So I enjoy listening to you. Yeah, I'll send you the link. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yay, this was awesome. Anything else you want to share? No, I think that's it. People, oh, if you want to find me, just go to theanxioustruth.com. The podcast is there. The books are there. Links to all my social media and stuff if you want to follow me. I'll on. link it on, the, on yeah. the show notes too. Everybody's welcome. Join in. Everybody's welcome to join. So, Awesome. It was yeah. great chatting with you. You're amazing. It was. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. We'll do it again. Thank you so much. Very good. Bye. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram at Dr. Lisa Cortez and online at www.drlisacortez.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, remember, healthy mind, healthy you.